Amen. Thank you to Lauren and the team for leading us this morning. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you again on this beautiful day. Uh, Before you start your stopwatch, if you're timing my sermon this morning, uh, I just have two things I want to say before we dive into Scripture. And the first thing is if you were not here last night for our youth uh, music fundraiser, goodness, you missed out. Uh, Man, we are blessed with with youngsters, both young and old, absolutely, uh, who have incredible talent. Uh, You know, I had considered maybe this morning of also trying to sing my sermon in F-sharp major until I realized I have no idea what that means. Um, I also was thrilled to be able to hear Indiana Jones and Star Wars uh, played from the, the stage. Uh, you know, I never thought that would happen. My son thought that was the greatest thing uh, ever. Uh, but not only things like that, it was watching the talent of those, those Chinese pianos. Uh, and just those little bamboo sticks were a blur as those girls were playing. And I'm like, this is just mind-boggling. Uh, the ukulele troupe was incredible. Our very own Ferris one-man band... Um, I thought of coming up to him afterwards and, and, and calling him Dick Van Dyke, but I realized he would not have a clue what I meant by that. Um, but man, what a, what a blessed evening. So make sure you join us for the next one. The second thing I want to share is just to underline after the service this morning, our missions fair happening in the activity hall. Uh, it's, we do this deliberately. We did it last year as well and realized it's an amazing opportunity for us as a church to fully come to grips with, well, where does our money go? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to join one of the ministries that we support uh, at, at an event that they held to just kind of share a little bit of what they were doing and where they were going. And on the same day that I did that, a friend of mine posted a status update on Facebook as they shared a little experiment that him and a couple of friends have been doing. They're a, a group of Christian friends, um, and they had decided they were going to start pooling some of their resources together and see if they could bless other people through that. And so they just gave this little report of the number of families and lives that they had impacted through pooling resources. And as I read that, and as I went to this ministry event, I suddenly realized, well, that's what we do. When we partner together, we partner together to make a difference, to impact the world. And so when we take up our tithes, when we take up our offerings, it's not just so that we can try and build a little empire or anything like that. It's because we're aware that together we can do so much more than alone. And so I really want to encourage you this morning, if you typically don't come through to the activity hall, I get that. I won't force you to talk to somebody you really don't want to talk to, uh, but I really would encourage you to come and grab a cup of coffee and come and have a look at the various missions and ministry agencies that we support. Uh, As I say that, I kind of want to make mention of them so that you know a little bit of who's there. And while I do that, I want to thank each of the individuals from those ministries and those mission groups that have joined us this morning. Uh, Yes, I know some of you, this is your home church, so you didn't really have much of an excuse you were going to be here, and we're thankful you're here as well. But I acknowledge that for some people to have to travel and to come out to us, that is a bit of an effort, and it is a bit of a journey, so we thank you this morning for doing that. Uh, 
in no particular order and in no priority or favoritism or anything like that. It's probably not even in alphabetical. It really is mixed. Uh, but I want to thank Debbie Nightingale, who leads our afternoon mission group for hosting a, a table and sharing a little bit of what they do. Tom May from the Canadian Baptist Ministries and much of the mission work that he does will be there as well. Uh, Colin Godwin, the president of Cary Theological College. Colin, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning to come and share what's happening in Cary and how we as a church can continue to support. Uh, our very own Liv Buto from Christmas on the Peninsula. Uh, thrilled to have her sharing much of what we know, but now we can see a little bit more and engage with and ask some questions. Uh, Sherry Bailey from the Dalit Freedom Network. We're thrilled you're here with us this morning. Samantha Godhammers from Keats Camp. Um, I'm grateful you are here. You will have my children in a few weeks' time. Look after them. Uh, Claudia Marita Rossetto, who is the church relations coordinator with Vancouver Missions Fest. We're glad you're here with us this morning. This next one, some of you are going to go, really? But I know this guy. How did this happen? Uh, and I love the story. Go and chat with Gus Buto as he explores retirement doesn't necessarily mean I do nothing. It means God still has a purpose for me. And as he serves in Teach Beyond, uh, go and chat with him to find out more of that. Dennis Kirkley, who we know so well as the Vancouver Airport Chaplaincy. Susan Giannetti from Zimbabwe Gecko Society, again, an organization that we support in, in many ways and serve. And, and so some of you might go, okay, well, I know that one. I don't really need to waste time. No, go and engage. Go and come to a greater understanding. And then Jason Rohajo, our youth pastor. Uh, you might wonder, well, why on earth is he taking a missions table? He is our youth pastor. Uh, well, he takes a number of our young people off to serve, and so you can find out a little bit more about that. Uh, added to that, this year, Jason has an incredible summer opportunity with CBM to lead a group of young people to Kenya, uh, and so he will be going on a mission trip there as well. So that's the, the tables, the people, the organizations, the ministries, and the missions that we're supporting, and I know there are others as well, but those are the ones that are here this morning. Come and join us after the service. And now you may begin your stopwatch. Uh, and as you do that, I'm going to go and get my water that I forgot over there. But I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them, when last did you do something you know you shouldn't have done? <laughs> and of course, I really hope they didn't disclose, you know, something, something serious. Um, anybody brave enough to put up their hands and say, yeah, that was me this morning? No, no, don't, please, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but, you know, even when I ask a question like that, you know, when last did you do something you know you shouldn't have? I know immediately you think, well, the pastor is thinking of some heinous sin or some moral failure. I don't even mean that. I'm amazed at, at how we as humans know what we shouldn't do. And we know what we should do, yet we still go ahead and don't do what we should, and we do what we shouldn't. Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I will get into a conversation with someone, and obviously they'll eventually discover, okay, I'm a pastor, and I work in a church, and I, I'm kind of involved in ministry. And somewhere in the conversation, uh, the individual might say something along the lines of, no, I'm not a big fan of church. Uh, you know, I, don't, I just don't really like all the hypocrites. Uh, and, and I've kind of learned, you know, I, 
the negative side or the sad side of that is often somebody who says that, they've been hurt by somebody themselves. And, and so that's why they say that. And so there's this little wall kind of saying, well, I, I don't really want to get involved because they're too many hypocrites. My response to that is almost always, hey, we've always got room for one more. <laughs> because we're human. And we all make mistakes and we all act in some hypocritical way at some stage in our lives. Uh, how many doctors live unhealthy lives or, or how many doctors smoke for that matter? Uh, how many police officers or those who enforce the law actually often break the law? Uh, you know, how many politicians lie? You know, we're, we're human. Okay, maybe that was a bad example and I apologize for that. We all know what we should do. You know, even in, in kind of just daily lives, you know, we know we're supposed to get a little bit of exercise. We know we're supposed to eat healthy. Uh, and in fact, that's part of why I run, because I'm trying to run away from a bad diet. It reminds me of a lady I saw. And little disclaimer, I'm not judging this lady, and I'm not saying she was a hypocrite, but I just love the picture that I saw because it was a metaphor for how often, uh, how we behave often. I was at the shops a little while ago, and I won't mention the name of the brand of shoes, but a number of years ago, uh, there was a brand of shoes that came out, and part of their marketing and sales message was that these shoes were so designed that you would actually be working out while you were walking. Uh, so you would be burning fat. It had something to do with the angle of the bottom or the sole of the shoe. And so you just had to put these shoes on and just walk in them and you would burn fat and you would lose weight and you would tone up and all those sorts of things. And, and understandably, a whole lot of people went and bought those shoes. And so I'm standing at the shops one day and I see this lady walking along and, and it caught me straight away because she was wearing a pair of these shoes. I was like, well, okay, here's somebody who's health conscious. Here's somebody who's working out. Here's somebody who, who's kind of concerned about their diet and life and all of that sort of thing. But the problem was she was carrying a double-layered rich chocolate cake. And I kind of went, lady, one of those two have to go. They don't balance out in that way. Like I say, I'm not judging her. I just think it is such a classic picture of how we know what we should do, yet often we don't do that. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're continuing in a series through the book of 1 Timothy, uh, and we've been journeying through kind of section by section, having a look at Paul's letter to this young pastor, this young protege, Timothy, uh, and as he instructs Timothy, but also as he instructs the church uh, that Timothy leads and ministers in. And so today we're continuing in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, we're going to go from verse 6 to 16. I want to go through them. They'll be up on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible in front of you. I'm going to pause as we're going through, make a couple of comments, and then at the end of the scripture portion, then we'll kind of figure out what is the key and what is the focus. So Paul begins and he says, if you point these things out to the brothers and the sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths and the faith of the good teaching that you have followed. Now, of course, right there, Paul kind of says, teach these things or point these things out. In verse 11, we're going to see Paul uses a more emphatic command. He says, command and teach these things. And that, of course, begs the question, well, what are these things that Paul is talking about? Now, broadly, we could correctly say, yes, it's the commands of God. 
Uh, it's the laws of God. These things would be the instructions of God to his people. And, and so, yes, we should teach these things and we should point them out. But we know that in the context of this letter specifically, Paul is dealing with false doctrine and false teaching. And so Paul is coming against this challenge. And so he's saying to Timothy, be aware of those false teachers around you who are bringing false doctrine into the congregation, into the community of saints. Teach and and command and fight against those. Point out these things. Show where there is error. Lead the people. uh, Nourished on the truths. Paul goes on in verse 7, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and for the life to come. Now, when Paul talks about myths and old wives' tales, he, he doesn't actually tell us what those are. Uh, We don't know necessarily, and I don't think he's kind of being sexist or anything like that there. I I think we know an old wives' tale is probably something that's empty, it's it's vacuous, it's undependable, possibly even heretical, especially in the context that we're reading. They might appear to have wisdom, but when they're tested, when they're tried, when they're pushed, they fail, they prove unreliable. And so Paul says, have nothing to do with those kind of teachings, Instead, train yourself to be godly. Yes, we know physical training has value, and so Paul uses this as an illustration or as a metaphor for our physical lives, and he's trying to relate it to our spiritual lives. Train yourself to be spiritual. Of course, we might go, well, what on earth does that mean? How do I train? I know how to train physically. How do I train spiritually? Yeah, last week, uh, Jen did a great job of pointing out that it is Christ in us who makes us godly. It is Christ in us that builds us and, and leads us into who we should be. And of course, that says, well, how do, we, how do we train? How do we hold intention depending on Christ for godliness in one hand, but then living in that trajectory that we spoke of a couple of weeks ago from chapter 3? And Paul says, train in godliness. So while my salvation and godliness before the Lord is not dependent on the work I do, clearly there's something I'm still called to. And we know this is our sanctification as I grow in faith. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying in verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now I want to pause here and not immediately go on because... Scholars, as they read that passage or that verse, sorry, are not in full agreement. Is the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance verse 8 beforehand, or is it verse 10 afterwards? As we look at them, I kind of like how Walter Liefeld has summarized. You see, Walter Liefeld summarizes verse 8, 9, and 10, and he says, We hope in God, the Savior, and thus we work hard. We do this because of the promise of life to come that rewards training in godliness. And so if you ask me, well, Brian, which is the trustworthy saying? Is it verse 8 or is it verse 10? My answer to you is yes, it is. Paul says in verse 10, that is why we labor and strive. 
Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. I want to pause just briefly. Savior to all people, especially those who believe. Is Paul teaching universalism? Universalism is the idea that everyone will be saved regardless of what they believe and regardless of what they do. Is that what Paul is saying? I mean, we know John 3.16, we quote it all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, as I read through Paul's letters and as I read through Christ's teaching, the scriptures do not teach universalism. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul is not saying in that little verse, in that little comment, that everyone will be saved. I think it might be a little bit better to say Paul is saying, Christ, who is God, sorry, is the Savior of all people, particularly those who repent, particularly those who believe, those who come to Him and acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. As a quick aside, my friends, if you've never come to that place in your life where you've been able to say, God and Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, my friends, I would encourage you You need to do business with the Lord. You need to receive and acknowledge and accept Him as Lord and Savior. If you want to know more about that or you're not sure, you're welcome to come and chat with me. I'd love to take you further into that and even pray with you. Paul goes on in verse 11, command and teach these things. That's that imperative that I was talking about. He says in verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul over here is kind of saying in one go, age isn't an issue, Timothy. Just because you're a little bit younger than maybe some of the congregation around you, don't let them look down on you. Teach, set an example, still command. You have authority vested in you from God. I think what Paul is saying over there is he's not really focusing on age. I think Paul would say to anybody called and led by God to speak and to preach and to teach and to lead the community of saints, Paul would say, don't let anyone look down on you because of some external circumstance. It is God who has called you. It is God who enables you and equips you. And as God does that, and as you're called to go and do that, well, then set an example. I could probably preach a full, uh, full sermon just on that verse alone. Set an example in every part of your life, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I mean, that's a straightforward sermon right there in one verse. Paul goes on in verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. You The public reading and teaching and preaching of Scripture is still important. This is why we at White Rock Baptist Church believe in preaching. We come under the authority of the Word of God. 
And so we devote ourselves to reading it and to teaching it and to coming to an understanding of what does it say, what does it mean? How do I apply it to my life? What's the, the implication for it? Of course, as Paul says, devote yourself to that. What Paul is saying inadvertently to the congregation is submit under the word of God. Yield to the word of God in your own life. Come under its authority and its teaching. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Paul says, be diligent. Give yourself wholly. Paul is saying, sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed in order to grow spiritually. Progress doesn't come apart from hard work. And progress doesn't come without sacrifice. And this is why he gives the illustration of physical training. We all know from watching the Olympics or any professional athletic or professional sport, they don't make it to the podium. They don't win the gold or win the cup just simply because they showed up. No. They win it because they've sacrificed. They've been disciplined. They've given themselves wholly to the pursuit of that prize. And they've done whatever it took to get there. And then Paul finishes off verse 16. And I think verse 16 is the focus of this passage. Paul says to Timothy, and therefore to each of us as well, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the key. What Paul is saying over here is make sure that your beliefs and your actions align. Make sure that what you believe and what you say you believe and the way you live and the way you act, make sure they're a unified whole. That they're one person, one thing. And therefore watch them closely. Pay close attention. Study them. Bring them under a magnifying glass if needs be. And as you do that, persevere in keeping them aligned. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Why? Well, the answer is right there. To save yourself. And to save those who listen to you. To save those who interact with you. Who hear you. Now that might lead us to the question, well, how? How do we do that? How do I watch my life and my doctrine closely? And that's where I want to pay a bit of attention for the next few minutes. I haven't done it deliberately, but I have a three-point sermon for you. And it's all out of that passage. How do I watch my life and doctrine closely? Well, firstly, I spend time in the Word. Secondly, I set my hope in God. And thirdly, I strive to reach that goal. So firstly, spend time in the Word. Someone anonymously once said that the Bible is meant to be bread for our daily use, not just cake for special occasions. I really hope your Bible isn't on a shelf somewhere gathering dust. Paul uses words like point these things out, brought up in the truth, the good teaching that you have followed. Verse 11 again, command and teach in verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to become more like Christ as a true disciple in Jesus, then we need to train ourselves to hear the voice of God. We do that spiritually 
by spending time in this book. We live in a noisy world with voices coming at us all the time. I told my son I was going to use this as a sermon illustration, and he said, knock yourself out. Yesterday, Dylan had a soccer match. And one of the things about Dylan's soccer matches is the number of parents that line up the sidelines and in the stands who are shouting at the kids. You know, yes, it's encouragement. You know, they're shouting for them, get the ball, get the tackle. You know, sometimes they're shouting at the ref because it was their child that was tripped and the ref clearly is blind. But there's a lot of shouting going on. And so Cindy and I were chatting with Dylan because we shout as well. You know, we're trying to encourage Dylan. And Cindy asked Dylan, she said, you know, do you ever hear us shouting for you? And I think Dylan felt like he was supposed to say yes, but he, he kind of went, meh. I've kind of blocked you guys all out. I'm like, what do you mean you block us all out? He said, no, well, I just listen to the coach. And I just do what he's telling me to do. And, and I don't really hear all the parents shouting. And as we were driving, I said, now there's a sermon illustration right there. We need to train ourselves to hear the voice of God in the midst of all the shouting that is coming our way, whether TV, radio, friends, newspapers, internet, wherever it is all coming from, until we get to that place of spending time in the Word of God, learning to hear and discern the voice of God as He speaks to us, we will not grow in our faith. We will not grow in our discipleship, in the journey of becoming like Christ. You and I have to spend time daily. As the psalmist declares, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You know, a few weeks ago, I had a chair up on stage. Maybe I should have brought it back out for today and challenged you about your chair time, that time alone with God in his word. How's that going in your life? Are you spending daily time with God, reading the Word? If I want to watch my life and my doctrine closely, then I need to spend time in the Word of God. But not only do I spend time in the Word of God, the second thing I do is I set my hope in God. Verse 10, he says, we have put our hope in the living God. And as Jen so eloquently pointed out last Sunday, our godliness comes from Christ in us. We're not godly because of what we do. We're not godly by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations and traditions of man and woman. We don't, that doesn't make us godly. It is Christ in us. And so with Christ in me, I find my hope in Him. Because I have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, he's speaking about the certainty of the promise of God and the certainty of this hope that we have. In verse 19, he says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Our hope as an anchor for our soul because our hope is in God through Christ Jesus. And this is part of why we at White Rock Baptist Church, where we drew up as a church together, what is our purpose? Why are we here? And we said White Rock Baptist Church seeks to be a loving community of what? A loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. We do not put hope in people. We do not put hope in institutions. We don't put hope in policies. And even as we're talking about our bylaws, we don't put hope in our bylaws. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I don't know where your ultimate hope is. This morning I, I 
ask you, I implore with you, I hope that your hope is in Jesus Christ. You might go, no, I don't need somebody else. I don't need a God or a Savior. My hope is in myself. And I would say that is a terrible source of hope. Given how fickle we are, given how hypocritical we all are, I would encourage you to find a better source of ultimate hope. We spend time in the Word of God. We put our hope in God. Thirdly, we strive to reach the goal. Listen to this language all through this passage of Scripture. Verse 7, train yourself. Verse 10, labor and strive. Verse 13, devote yourself. Verse 14, do not neglect. Verse 15, be diligent. Give yourself holy. Verse 16, watch closely. Persevere. There is effort. There is energy. There is sacrifice. And this is why Paul uses that illustration of physical training. Yeah, it might be easy for me to talk about the Olympics. We all understand that. But it's not just the ultimate elites who understand the importance of physical training in their lives. You speak to somebody who's had some sort of wake-up call for maybe years of unhealthy living and neglecting their physical body, and maybe they've had a mild heart attack or some sort of wake-up call medically. And now they stand in front of that treadmill or that stationary bike or they stand and sit in front of that salad bowl and they're afraid and terrified because that's not what they know. But they understand that if I want to grow and if I want to find health and find vitality and find life, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have to be disciplined. And this is why Paul uses that illustration because it is such a brilliant illustration for every one of us. We have to strive in order to reach that goal. If we need to strive as we train in godliness, that means there are going to be days when I don't feel like praying. There are going to be days I don't feel like reading the Bible. There are going to be days I certainly don't feel like fasting or journaling or spending time in community. There are going to be times where I just, I want to do my own thing. And Paul would say, don't. Understand that that sacrifice of spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word, spending time in community, yes, when you could be doing a bunch of other things, when you do that, that's what helps you grow spiritually. That's what helps you grow in your godliness. Is it going to be easy? Not at all. Is it going to be worth it? Yes. Because Paul answers that. What's the prize? In verse 8 to 10, that prize is receiving the promise of hope, receiving our salvation. Doing the right thing is never or seldom easy, let me put it that way. And so Paul exhorts us, encourages us, challenges us, strive. Spend time in the word. Set your hope in God. Strive to reach the goal. And in so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Father, as we read your word, indeed, we devote ourselves to it. We come under its authority because we believe it is your voice to us. And so, Lord, we thank you in your incredible sovereignty and and the way you did it, by allowing a letter that Paul wrote to this young minister 
thousands of years ago, yet still relevant and important and applicable for us today. And so, Father, we ask, would you help us? Help us watch our lives and our doctrine closely. May the way we live match up to what we believe. And may the way we live and what we believe be united and surrounded in Christ Jesus. And may your spirit lead us. Well, there are days when it is difficult. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to sin. We're prone to doing our own thing. Lord, in those moments, would you graciously help us to get back up and to keep on striving, aware that we don't do it alone. We do it with Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope for our souls. Lord, my prayer this morning for each one of us is that we would live this and know this to be true. For those who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, would you reveal yourself even now? We would ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.